Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Welcome back to part two of our dialogue on the changing face of value and how we're emotionally attached more than ever to our needs and the brands around us. This week, we're going to talk about the values part of the conversation. But before we do that, you know, please make sure to follow us on your preferred streaming service. We have some really cool things planned, and we don't want you to miss them. Obviously, <laughs> also, <laughs> we want to keep making content that you love. So we are taking requests for future trends, nostalgic trends, everything like that. You can just slide into our DMs or tag us on Instagram if you see something. Uh, just make sure to follow us while you're at it. It's at underscore the underscore department. Or you can also email us or shoot us a call at our hotline, which you can find online on our website, thedepartment.world. So values have also become much more important, as in the values of the company. Uh, this is something that Amanda talks about religiously on Close Horse, her other <laughs> podcast. Um, and people are demanding it now more than ever. We reference it a few times but this pandemic took down a few giants as well for some bad values. Mm -hmm. um, so back in 2018, Edelman ran a report called the Earned Brand Report that revealed that globally, 64% of consumers choose, switch, avoid, or boycott a brand based on its stand on a societal issue. Wow, and that was 2018. 2018. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's, that's great news. Yeah. So brands used to be neutral on any issue of global and national importance mm -hmm. to really avoid any potential PR hassles. And consumers are demanding more and more social media is letting our voices be heard as well. Where government held most of the responsibilities to enact change – Companies are now expected to, with millennials and Gen Z generations who account for nearly two-thirds of the world's population, closing in ranks and calling for action. So two years later, after that report, Edelman did another report. And in 2020, they called it the Trust Barometer. And that reported that after a few years of living in this bubble of chaos and fake news, just greedy, lying politicians, people have a lot of fear and they are looking for brands to stand up in this capitalist world for what is right and for stand up for them, for them as uh, for, for them really, you know, mm -hmm. to be the mm -hmm. voice for them. Um, a, so this is what the report says. Um, a global pandemic and economic crisis and mass demonstrations over centuries of systemic racism and racial injustice have pushed brands to the forefront of societal change. It's not enough for brands to issue a statement or make an, an emotional ad. Consumers expect brands will act and advocate on the personal and societal issues that affect their lives. And an overwhelming majority say problems big and small, no, or big and small matter most for brands today. 85% want brands to solve my problems. Another 80% want brands to solve society's problems. And 69% cite being a dependable provider, 64% being a reliable source of information, and 63% cite being a protector. Isn't that insane? 
I mean, I think it's so interesting. I do think, I think that one of the blessings of the internet, which there are many curses, is that people are able to share their experiences with brands in a way that they couldn't before. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like, I, I don't know, you go into Reddit, look up anything. Someone's talking about how shitty Comcast internet is, for example, and the experiences they're having with it. And other people are like, whoa, that was happening to me too. I thought it was just me. And suddenly you have stories piling up and people are able to mobilize based on that. And it's really bad marketing for, say, Comcast, Uh you know? I feel I feel like this you've seen this before. This is coming from experience. I mean, I I see things like that all the mm-hmm. time. Things that you and I would never think about just talking about yes. like in a normal conversation. You know, we might talk about some skincare thing we tried and how much we liked it. Or we might talk about a clothing brand that we like or something, a place we've eaten. But you and I would probably never sit down and start talking about like your experience with your electric company, right? We would never, but people yeah do talk about those things on the internet and it it gives more validity to people's own negative experiences with services like that mm-hmm. and i think that's really where that like trust and dependability mm-hmm. thing comes into play like brands have to do better even thinking about how if you have a problem with a flight just take it to twitter yeah and, and yet that's, that's exactly right. what happens right right mm-hmm. like you couldn't do that before so if you had a really bad experience on an airline I don't know, like what they lost your bag or someone was rude to you or whatever. Maybe, well, your only recourse would have been to like call the customer service hotline or email Mm -hmm. them. And most people aren't going to do that, but people are going to tweet about it or they're going to go on Reddit and say like, I just had the shittiest time on Delta. And then other people are going to be like, oh my God, I have the same thing. And then it like builds up momentum. And I think that's so much different than the world we used to live in, where you'd have to be really mad to let someone know, <laughs> to take the time, uh-huh. because we're all intrinsically lazy about that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you mean I got to call someone on the phone? Never mind. It wasn't that bad, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it probably was that bad. Yeah. You just didn't want to go to the bother of yeah. doing, dealing with it. Yeah. And then 80% of the people surveyed or, you know, want brands to solve society's problems, you know? And so, you know, they really want brands to start making a social impact. They want them to be responsible socially, essentially, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really kind of amazing, you know? I think it is. I think it is. You know, we live in a capitalist system. Mm -hmm. The corporations- It is important to be accountable. Yeah, the corporations have all- They have so much power. Yeah. You know, and they have the resources to make changes in the way that us as individuals don't. And they are often very complicit in some of society's biggest problems. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the the values that I'm going to dig into here is authenticity. So in this world Mm. of misinformation and fake news, authenticity and demands for brands to step up have blown up this year. So we've seen a lot go down. It was practically like DTC and girl boss dominoes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So as a massive movement spread of people with an organization speaking up and unraveling the faux kind of stories behind the authenticity of the brand. Um, You know, we've, We've both worked for companies whose outward-facing missions and values haven't actually aligned with their internal values. I mean, each of us sitting, having lunch, crying next to <laughs> the the handwritten what is what was the motto in the nasty uh, <laughs> empower women to live their best oh lives or something, and you'd be like, "Where's my best life?" I'm I'm eating a sad protein plate from Starbucks and I'm trying not to cry because I'm about to go into like what a miserable open to buy session where a man is going to completely you know debase and devour and minimize everything I say yes yes and that meeting room will be called mean girls (laughs) (laughs) yeah right there um 
Right there. Right yeah. there. So let's define authenticity. And Merkel's Reeves Martin did a consumer experience sentiment report, which, of course, that name <laughs> can you can just imagine. <laughs> um, uh, customers view brands as authentic when they show their support of social causes through monetary and in kind donations, which basically means actually caring. Um, also openly sh- they share business objectives, which is transparency and communication. And they use diverse people within media and advertising, which is relevancy and thoughtfulness. So that's authenticity that they're using um, in this uh, consumer experience sentiment report, which just is a highfalutin report <laughs> name. Um, and, one of the big guys that got busted was Everlane, Ugh. whose motto of radical transparency was called <laughs> inauthentic by current and past employees, challenging the ethical image and saying they were hypocrites. So the New York Times reported on this. It was called Everlane's promise of radical transparency unravels. No, we've talked about this before. Writing, mm-hmm. and I quote, allegations of hypocrisy with former employees having accused the company of anti-Black behavior and union busting was selling an image to the world that did not reflect their damaging experiences inside the company. Three current employees described a culture of favoritism, particularly toward those known as, and I quote, forever landers. Loyal employees defensive of Mr. Pressman's, which is the founder and CEO, and their brand that they loved, which is drinking the Kool-Aid, an internal investigation is promised. You know, and that really damaged Everlane. They, they, they have done a big hire, I, I read recently, this year to try to rebrand their image. I mean, good luck. I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts there, but I think at its core, if Everlane, if its leadership had really wanted to create this miraculous good company that did good things for the world, they could have, but they didn't really, it wasn't, it just wasn't sincere. It wasn't, it wasn't sincere and ever. And it, and this, it was a really, really dangerous time. You know, there was a lot, you know, the demise of basically girl boss, happened here too with girl bosses everywhere cowering in their Louboutins, the wing (laughs) man repeller reformation outdoor voices away all these people being called out and and it was all about basically their motto not actually reflecting the internal culture and being racist internally I'm going to tell you something about Outdoor Voices that I might edit out, but okay. uh, I just wanted to say. So, you know, there was all that drama at Outdoor Voices where it was a really abusive, toxic environment, and I believe that was coming from the CEO. Am I right? Yes. Am I remembering correctly? Yes. We have a new CEO now hmm. who came from a place I used to work who is hmm. a notoriously toxic, bullying person. Cool. Like, legendarily a bully. Um, oh. I don't see Outdoor Voices getting better. Not no. with that person there. No. no way. Yeah. I I mean <sighs> I might have to keep that in. I feel like I didn't name names, but uh No, I think that that's fine. I was like, uh, that's a terrible rebrand. That's terrifying. I how know. Are, I know. How are people being vetted? Like I feel like I feel like CEOs should have like like there need to be reference checks on CEOs to former like direct reports. Direct reports or even Imagine. indirect reports. Like, yeah, good idea. Go three levels down. What did they think of the CEO? I think that's a great yeah, idea. Because yeah. that like like <laughs> that is just that's just another PR nightmare waiting to happen. And <clears throat> frankly, this shit was like like this was obviously gonna happen. This was like call out culture was just blowing up. Like why wasn't there internal reviews happening beforehand? Like this is just yeah. this is just I mean it it, it it was amazing to see only in the sense because we all experienced it and it was just like everyone was so afraid 
of of saying something. A lot of a lot of people have signed things, you know, so you can't really say anything. So um, authenticity is something that people really value. And Gen Z and millennials are really, that has become an incredible demand to make sure that whatever, whatever you're supporting and whatever you're, you know, being consciously consuming, whatever that brand is doing, is they're doing something good. Um, but it requires a massive amount of work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why you should listen to Close Horse, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really hard. When you start to educate yourself about the sort of patterns that these companies use to speak, you can start to spot it more easily because you realize they're all they're all talking to you using the same language. Um, but I think about like a place like Everlane and their like radical transparency and all of these other, you know, faux good brands that they're just like ruining words that have so much power. Yeah. And I hate that. Yeah. Like that term radical transparency, that's amazing. Well, now anybody who says they're practicing anything radical or transparent, I immediately distrust them. Exactly. That is unfortunate. I know. What now what words are we left with? Just curse words. <laughs> so I was reading this one of these articles and they were talking about, you know, the time when um Oh, there was like, I was like a Lululemon. There was a Lululemon nightmare. Which one? The, well, there was the one where like, this is like in 2013 or something where I think it was like the CEO was saying that one of the reasons why the there was pilling that was happening on their leggings, oh. $100 leggings, and was saying that it was because of, of women's body types. Mm-hmm. Being too big. Yeah. Being too that guy, big. oh, he could not stop putting his foot in his mouth. I mean, I, I've heard he's a dick anyway, but like, jeez. Ooh. Ooh, I'm shocked that that they have blown up so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. After that. They I were, think because social media was so still in its infancy. It was before the call. Uh, culture yeah, you know what? Him. I think you might be right. Because in that era, there were a lot of articles, blog posts. I'm sure there was something on Jezebel about how terrible it was to work for for them, especially in their stores. And we never hear about that now. People are still buying all those Lululemon leggings. And I, I do think you're right. Like if if this had been like last year and Diet Prada was blowing it up on Instagram, yes. it would have been different. Yes, exactly. Yes. I think I think in force now with 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 accounts like that, there is the the opportunity to make much more much more change and get and mm-hmm. get some of these bullies and, and their problems out there. Totally. And anyway, well, that actually takes us right into equality. Uh, Gartner did a report on consumer values from 2019 to 2020 to capture the zeitgeist of the U.S. going in, into 2021 and saw something really shocking. So consumers are going through something they call a social justice awakening, which is very exciting. I know. I know. And I want it to stick. I don't want this to be like all the other things that were trendy from the beginning part of the pandemic. Like, I don't want social justice to be the Tiger King of 2021. Yes. (laughs) Please. And I don't think it's going to be because it does seem like there is longevity and people really are embracing th- this, you know, I'm seeing it uh, everywhere. And, you know, and consumers mm-hmm. are upholding brands to it. Like if they are, if they even see you slip and your feed only showcases white girls with um, her, their Starbucks coffee, they're going to fucking say something and they should, because that's not acceptable mm-hmm, anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that is just not acceptable. <laughs> so, the social justice movement that gathered momentum in 2020 has had a meaningful impact on consumer values in the U.S., including the emergence of a new number one value. After a full decade atop the rankings of consumer values, loyalty has been displaced in 2020. Now it's equality. And that is... And I quote, 
I strongly believe that all people should have equal opportunity and equal access in all areas of their life. And is now the value with which the highest number of U.S. consumers identify. How exciting is that? I mean, that it's like the best news ever. That is monumental. (laughs) Yeah, because in the past it was like, what's the cheapest? What's the coolest? You know? Yeah. Um, They also noticed that equality as in, and I quote, I believe in equal consideration and inclusion of others advances the culture and diversity as in, I am always open to ideas, people, and cultures that are different from my own, both also rose rather quickly in ranks in the 2020 survey. So this 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 theme of equality is just something that people are just really, they're taking hold of, and this is really being just amplified. And we have seen really encouraging trends within the values of a lot of corporations to root out racism in their organizations and work deliberately to diversify, you know, inclusivity and sensitivity training um, and encourage diversity in business models, in hiring, as well as in executive development. Many are also adjusting their representation, like, Postmates featuring Black-owned businesses prominently on their apps. So you can just actually easily find a Black-owned business and, and order from them. Uh, to Nordstrom's actually launched the, uh, this inclusive beauty category in October of 2020 to grow and add more incredible and innovative Black-owned beauty brands, which is what they say. Um, and Sephora is doubling its assortment to 16 brands by the end of 2021. Um, which I don't know if <laughs> it's to me, that seems still rather s- small, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't know much about that. I mean, that that is small. And I think uh, that's been the criticism that I see most, most frequently on social media is that these brands are, they're they're doing this, and it's like I'm I'm glad that they're doing something. But when you really step back and look at the numbers, it's like a very small commitment in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of their business. Yeah, um, I know Target was under fire for that. Uh, Diet Prada was calling them out. Um, oh, interesting. Was it yeah. like it's like what? How like how much? Like God, it was three percent or something. It was something really small. And um, actually, that's a really interesting story because I commented on it and I said, "Well, I can tell you why." Because Target has a crazy, I'm sure, a crazy margin target that they need yes. to hit. And if they're buying like third-party brands, meaning yes. like from these black-owned brands, the margin's going to be lower. That's just how it works. Like yes. because they're selling wholesale, it's just a lower margin. And that margin will never be as high. That product will never be as profitable as it is for Target to make their own stuff overseas where most likely garment workers, all the people working in the factories are not being paid a living wage. I mean, that when you get down to brass tacks, that's why most of the stuff in a Target store is Target brand, you know? Exactly. And so I called that out um, and Diet Prada pinned my comment. And I proceeded to be harassed by racists for like the next, I don't know, 12, 14 hours before I deleted my comment. Um, that's a whole other episode. And that episode is called in the Venn diagram of racists (laughs) and diet product followers. How big is the overlap? (laughs) I was shocked. (laughs) Hmm. But that's why, you know, I mean, like, yeah, if they were like, we're only going to buy from Minnesota owned brands, it would be the same thing because as soon as you put like brand in there, the margin yeah. is lower, and you—I can't even imagine what the margin targets at Target are. Yeah, I mean they're and, they're insane. And and the and the the black owned business because the, what they're going to do is they're going to try to they're going to try to get the um, the product at what like sixty five percent margin. Like it's, it's something that actually is completely unfeasible for and the brand. If, yeah, for the brand. And it would be damaging for the brand because the brand would actually make such little off of it. Yeah. I know. It's just not going to work. I mean, this goes back to what you're talking about in the last episode about like redefining the like profit margin 
yes. of of everything we buy. You know, it would have to have a different word, right? It would have a different term. But I think about mm-hmm. that a lot, even just like how we judge like a stock price, for example. You know, it's like it's based on like what's the, what's the sale? What are the sales revenue numbers? And what's the profit margin coming out of there? And what if we said, okay, those things matter, but like also what's just as important is that company's social and environmental responsibility. Like that would change the way yes. companies ran themselves, you know? Yes. That's what would have to happen for Target, you know? I mean, I'm excited, like like I said, I'm really excited that all of these retailers are trying, but they're never going to do it great because it they'd have to change the way they run their businesses. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that I think it's okay that Target is squeezing factories overseas in order to make maximum profit. No, not at all. Like, I'm obviously very against that, but I think there is going to have to be this large sea change in how we run businesses. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. like Kim said, Target is going to squeeze those Black-owned businesses so hard. Exactly. <laughs> like... <laughs> Exactly. I mean, and, I mean, the, the best thing to do is actually just shop direct to the black owned businesses and just don't Always. even, I mean, obviously, you know, Sephora is doubling down its assortment to 16 brands. That's because it's, it, it doesn't want the risk. So it's in, it's, it's testing it. It might be, oh my God, we're going to double it again. And it's like a oh, cool, great. That's because it's probably doing really well. You know? Yeah, yeah. And but once again, like having worked on the side of the large retailer who goes to brands and is like, we'd like to carry you, the only way it really benefits those brands is if we give them a lot of marketing exposure yes, and the customers exactly. come and shop from them and mm-hmm. not from us because we're mm-hmm. like, um, we're gonna need a discount. Yeah. Um, so you're gonna make like half as much or a quarter of as much as you would have made if you sold this on your own. So I do think it's really important. Like if you see a black owned brand, an Asian owned brand, a local brand that you want to support, you see it on, you know, Target or I, I don't know, Urban Outfitters, everybody's doing it right now. Go find that brand's website and buy it directly from them. It's absolutely so much more impactful. Yes, Google it. I'm sure there's a lot of there's actually a lot of guides. You might even have some guides that we can include. I mean, and also I know that a lot of these big companies, and maybe they have a different program for inclusive beauty categories or inclusive categories. But a lot of these programs, if you want marketing, you get, you have to pay more for it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. And the other thing I would just add that I just thought of too is b- as a person who's worked, like I said, on the big brand side where we're like going to highlight like women-owned brands or eco brands or something, we would buy such a tiny amount mm-hmm. from these brands just to hype it all over the internet that we were carrying it. Yeah. But it wasn't available in all stores or even any stores. It was just online and it was just for the optics. So I'm really skeptical of all this stuff. Like I'd need to go to a regular old Sephora, not the flagship Sephora, a regular one and see those 16 black owned brands in there before I'd be like, okay. Yeah. I'm curious if if that's actually 16 brands inside the Sephora or 16 brands on their website. Right. Because that's, that's always the scam. Yeah. (laughs) You know? I don't know. I, di- I didn't dig super deep into it. So, um, you know, I'm sure that someone from Sephora who probably knows more and, you know, probably could call in and inform us if they yeah, have Yeah, let us know. Are details. they all stores? Because just in my experience, mm-hmm. it, it never is. It's like online only or it's mm-hmm. in like the top 4% of stores or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. It's just, it's the optics of it all. And yeah. I'm, I, you know, my career has made me cynical. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and the same goes for any minority-owned business, you know, supporting all of them and support going directly to them. So the, instead of going through a Sephora or a uh, Nordstrom's, oh, my God, do you know how how great that is? It goes yeah. directly into their pocket. That is, they basically get double, double the dollars. For so, sure. Yeah. And they get it right away. They're not going to wait. Yep. I mean, I had a guest on Close Horse recently, Danny from Picnic Wear, who's called in a couple mm-hmm. times to the hotline here. Um, and she was approached to do a collab with a pretty big brand. And they were like, okay, well, the terms are net 90. 
Yes. And it was like, so she was barely going to get paid anything because they wanted her to come down on price pretty significantly. (laughs) And then not pay her for three months. Yeah. Like, no. So always, if you can, go direct. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's that's a little, that's a little PSA here at the department. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So in regards to the hot topic of ethical values and sustainability, which we talked about a little bit earlier in the, in the, the last episode. Um, so this Accenture report that I talked about in the last episode that was from 2020, it was looking at trends in behaviors and what consumers were looking to keep doing like from during the, the pandemic and then what we're gonna, they were going to do after the pandemic, you know, when things opened up again. 61% of people during the pandemic were making more environmentally friendly, sustainable, or ethical business decisions, with 89% planning to continue after the pandemic. Just a pretty wow. seismic, you know, shift. Mm-hmm. Like that's all that's 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 pretty great. I mean, I know, know that a lot of people's attentions really turned to, you know, what is really happening around them. I have a question though. Yeah. What about the 11% who are like, I'm not going to continue I, this after the pandemic? What? I know, right? <laughs> like, it's just a temporary I'm thing. Like, maybe they just had bad experiences. Maybe, yeah. I mean, they'll, 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 they'll be, be back. back. They'll be back. <laughs> who knows? Um, they'll be back. I mean, a lot of people, you know, talk about like, like plastic waste and, you know, just seeing garbage pile oh, up yeah. and, um, you know, seeing seeing just the environmental impact on the world and just coronavirus itself, just seeing the health of friends and family members, it's just been really, really eye-opening. And it has changed what we expect in the values of the businesses. Yeah. You know, that we purchase yeah. from. And this is Amanda's bread and butter here. Ethical business values and sustainability are not policed by anyone by the brand themselves, and really, I guess, the consumer, essentially. Yeah. So it's really easy for the brand to spin the story, and ethical business values are just, you know, they're like hot demand. So it can mean so many different things um, and are so bundled closely with sustainability and everything like that. But sustainability is literally, you know, the hottest trend in brands, and Trump did everything he could to roll back all environmental regulations in the four years he was president. And we have taken so many steps backwards Ah. and it's just such pain, pain and loss. We're in the process, you know, with the new president um, of getting them back, which is like just that knowing that that is happening, you know, being able to sleep at night. And waking up. Oh my God. What a life difference. I was, I tell Dustin this all the time. Like I remember I would, I felt like I had to check the news 13 times a day because you never knew what terrible thing was going to happen that hour. And yes, there are still many terrible things going on right as I speak, but it's a more manageable amount for me. Mm-hmm. Where I can, like my whole entire emotional bandwidth isn't being used anticipating the next hour's crises, yeah, or the next bad news. Like there's enough bad news that's overwhelming too, but not not in the same way. Exactly. Like I couldn't listen to NPR for for years uh, because it was just bad, yeah. just bad news after bad news. It's just so painful. Yeah, um, it's terrible. You know. So the government is finally doing its part to try to, you know, undo some of the damage he did, you know, but it's going to take a while. You know, it's it's obvious that consumers are shifting also. And, you know, we saw it's, it's no longer just this fringe belief to start thinking and living with more sustainable values. And now the values of the brand have to change as well, or this environmental crisis will just keep snowballing. Mm-hmm. Fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world. You know, even the plastic crisis, for example, has major accountability issues that corporations need to start taking ownership of and address. You know, these three brands, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle, are the top plastic polluters in every global brand audit to date. Isn't that disgusting? (laughs) It is disgusting. You know? God, I even... I wanted to tell you is I was at a gas station yesterday and now Snapple comes in plastic bottles. What? 
What a betrayal. Oh, as, oh. People are still drinking that. Wow. They had a lot, all in plastic bottles. I have no idea. It was literally called out like, new plastic bottle. At Dustin and I were like, who would consider that a selling point? Anyway, I had to tell you. You needed to know. I know you're a big Snapple fan. Oh, my (laughs) God. I know. I know. I just was like, we don't need more plastic. Just. You know, but I think, (laughs) I think, I mean, this is, plastic is a really great example of how we have, as the general public, been, you know, we've been marketed to and confused about things intentionally so for a really long time. And plastic is a great example of like an old school version, you know, because as of the 70s, it was People who were running the plastic industry were very aware that plastic truly wasn't recyclable, that only, you know, it can only be recycled once in the best case scenario, and that it wasn't going to decompose, and that there were going to be dramatic ramifications Mm -hmm. of selling us plastic in everything. And so what they did is just push plastic on us harder and sell us this fake idea of recycling, which... It's just in the past couple of years that I realized that very little plastic is being recycled. Yes. And it was it was devastating yes. for me. Exactly. Just beyond. Yeah. And so I I see this stuff with all this like sustainability that's being thrown at us. And like you said, it's there's no technical, like legal there are technical definitions of sustainability, but there's no like legal definition. And so you see it thrown on all, all kinds yes. of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've been dying over this. There's this Q-tip that's plastic and reusable. Um, it's not Q-tip brand, obviously. It's a cotton swab, but it's like plastic and silicone or something. Huh. I think it's called like the last one or something like that. <sighs> and uh, it replaces like 100 Q-tips or something. It's not – or maybe 1,000, but it's not It's not like you're going to – this is going to be the only one you use for your whole life. And a friend sent me one of their posts on Instagram where there is clearly like a social media manager meltdown going oh on my God. because I'll have to find it. But people were like, Hey, you say in the caption that it's made of recycled ocean waste, but then on your website, you say something different that it's made from bioplastics. So like, which is it? And the social media person like who was responding, like was like, contradicting themselves in every comment and then people oh my god i'm laughing so hard oh my god. then people showed up to be like why would i buy a plastic q-tip <laughs> when regular ones are already biodegradable and this one doesn't even it's not even going to be like lasting <gasps> me a whole lifetime yes Touché. exactly and you're like okay well this has reached peak embarrassment for this brand yeah but then <laughs> the people the people started showing up who were like, this broke off in my <gasps> ear and I had to go to the emergency room oh or God. I had to go to a doctor. <laughs> like so many of those comments, I was oh dying. But I mean, that's the reality of like a lot of the like so-called sustainability, like green products mm-hmm. were being offered is like on the surface, the marketing, the branding, what they're telling us, it appeals to us emotionally, just like recycling, right? Right. But then when you really look at it, take a step back, take yourself out of that like emotional moment, you're like, why would I buy a plastic Q-tip Yeah, to replace something that's already biodegradable? Yeah, exactly. Like that doesn't make any sense. It's not the same as buying a metal straw to replace a plastic straw. Right. That's different. Right. And that straw is going to last a really, really long time. Anyway. That is so interesting. It's a very poorly thought out product i know but i've seen it everywhere every zero waste shop i go to sells it but even i was like oh do i need one of those that's a really good idea and then i never bought it but someone sent me this post and was like you have to read the comments you're gonna cry and as i was reading it i was like yeah these people are right yeah and then when I got to the part with pieces being stuck in people's ears, I was like yeah. officially checked out on the product. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add about? I mean, about sustainability. I yeah, think- I mean, that's I know it's just you could probably go on forever, which we don't have to. I think with sustainability, the most important thing is that you need to be an educated consumer. And to do that, you can't be a embarrassed or ashamed or timid about asking questions. I know for me, 
that was the hardest part because I didn't want to seem like I was being a troll. I'm so adverse to people thinking I'm being negative towards them or making them feel bad. And so I would feel nervous asking a brand like what's okay, but like, what does that mean? You know, that's asking questions. Isn't, isn't trolling, you know, it's, it's being a better consumer and it's really challenging for those brands. Like clearly the plastic Q-tip reusable Q-tip company had a meltdown because they didn't know if their stuff was made of bioplastic or ocean waste. And they, didn't think through the idea that this wasn't going to rep- this wasn't an equal yes. or good replacement for something that was already biodegradable. And so asking these things, it might on the surface feel uncomfortable, but it's actually a service towards making better products in the future. Yes. So I think like ask questions do some research. I always say like, if I come across a term, a fabric, a certification that I'm unfamiliar with, I will type that into Google followed by the word greenwashing. And I always get the answer I want. Like for example, people were asking me about cactus leather, which is ostensibly faux leather made of cacti. And on the Mm. surface, it's a really great idea, right? And I Googled it. I just Googled the name of it. And I got 10 pages of fawning blog posts from every zero waste or vegan or like just eco blog on the internet that were clearly all parroting the same press release. You know, I started to see the same phrases over and over again, word for word. And I was like, okay, I'm already having a weird feeling about this. And so I actually went to that brand's website and dug through all of, I mean, it took, it took some time and I'm not saying everybody should have to do this, but I did some digging and I finally found something where they said that actually it does contain plastic. It's not biodegradable. It's got a resin coating. And that made sense to me because what I know of like faux leather, for example, is that you need that resin coating to give it that like leather, like feeling and make it somewhat Mm -hmm. water resistant. Now, of course, before everybody starts adding me with like, what about mushroom leather? What about this thing I saw? Yes, that technology is all being worked on right now, but it doesn't exist in a mass way because they're still developing it. So like if someone comes to you with any kind of miracle product that maybe seems a little too good to be true based on what you know, just Google it. Someone has talked Mm -hmm. about it somewhere. Read the fine print. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does it suck? Yeah, it should be easier. But unfortunately, it's just not because, you know, like brands are so savvy about marketing now and using social media and blogs to market them and kind of cancel out any negative stuff you could find in a Google search that it's hard to get right. to straight facts. And that's that's something that I get frustrated about all the time, even on my own. I'm like, it shouldn't be this much work for me to figure out what brand of sneakers to buy. But that's where we are right now. And it, that's not going to change until we collectively make a decision that we're going to demand better. And we do that. And so we can't be timid and be like afraid of, I don't know, hurting Nike's feelings or something. (laughs) Or or the plastic Q-tip thing. (laughs) Don't be afraid of hurting their feelings. They'll work Mm -hmm. it out. Jumping into another value, which is actually the give back component. And I know, I know Amanda has some thoughts on this. Um, So (laughs) instead, Instead of donating money directly to causes that they care about, shoppers under the age of 40 prefer to give back through where they shop. Uh, At Craftlands, we make a mask. We donate 10 meals to Feeding America for every um, mask sold, which actually is, we, we started doing it during the pandemic and we still do it. Um, and it was just kind of something that we were doing because we wanted to give back. Mm -hmm. Um, and it actually just became a part of like the core value of that mask. And it really, we were, we're, we've been able to donate over 4 million meals. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. And we're all extremely proud of it. And I know that a lot of people use it for bad, but we've been able to use it for really, really good causes and we're super psyched about it. Um, but Amanda, I would love to hear your thoughts on it where, you know, I know that you have done like a whole close horse episode on it. Yeah. I mean, and I will say that there are brands out there like 
like Raph Lance, like a lot of makers I know and vintage sellers who are just flat out writing a check, well, a virtual check, it's probably Venmo or PayPal, a donation of their sales yeah. every month. And that is incredible. And like, those are brands that you should support, especially if it's a small brand, like Kraft Lance is already like mm-hmm. making everything here in the United States and, you know, doing the best it can for everybody who's involved in that. I, for them to also on top of that being donating all those meals is incredible. Or like all the makers and sellers who are barely getting by, maybe don't even have health insurance who yeah. are donating to a cause every month. Like that's, that's incredible. And that is not the same as like, trust me, I have worked some places, <laughs> won't name yes. names, but yes. uh, I had one job in particular where, you know, we really got into the game of like quasi fundraising and it was Oof. really fucked up. And oh, yes, we were definitely juicing the numbers to make it look like the donation was a lot more impactful, but it might only be like, 25 cents for every t-shirt we sold and it wasn't being donated in a timely manner it wouldn't happen until like the end of the quarter or the end of the year and that's that's pretty par for the course and i would just ask you like for example if you using graphlance as an example Mm -hmm. if you want a mask if you want a bag go buy it don't let the fact that graphlance uh donates meals, like be the motivating factor, right? Because if you wanted to donate meals and that's what you really, what was really important to you, then you could just make a direct donation to the food bank, right? Um, Don't buy stuff because of the donation. You know, that's just like a pleasant bonus, right? Because if you're really, if your heart is really in doing something good, make a direct donation. It's just like how we were talking about if you want to support black owned brands, for example, like buy directly from them, it's, it's yep. a similar thing. Exactly. Get the money in their hands faster, get more money into their hands. Because my experience with all of this, like fundraising product is that for one, people just end up with a lot of stuff that they never wear or use. And two, the donation is negligible because The brand is going to, the company, whatever, is going to deduct the cost of the goods. Okay, fine. That made sense. They're going to deduct the cost of shipping it to you, of paying the person in the warehouse to pack up your order, of receiving the order in the first place, of the graphic designer who designed the social media posts. Is there a terminology that is a good terminology? And is there a terminology that's a bad terminology that you found? You know, I was digging into this, but just like the word sustainable, there's no like clear language that means anything consistent. So one thing you'll see is a portion of proceeds. Right. And that that can mean anything. Proceeds can mean profits. It can mean sales. It can, it, it means nothing. Um, portion of profits, can, while that sounds more precise, you really want to ask the company. And this is another time where it's not you being a troll. It's you just being an educated consumer and mm-hmm. demanding better. What do you, are you defining as profits? Because in my experience, we deducted the cost of marketing the product Wow. Um, yeah, you know, like you really, yeah, that's yeah, that's barely giving anything. Right, right. I mean, we would deduct the design costs, you know, shipping, wow. like, and then by the time it was over, now we're at the profits. Now we're gonna give one percent of that. That was nothing, you know, and so I I would ask these questions. This is very common practice. So even I'm, you know, specifically talking about jobs I've had and my experiences with it, this is the standard for all retailers who are selling you something with a percentage of profits or a percentage of proceeds. It's not clear and it can be very misleading. Now, what I would look for is more like we're donating $1 for mm-hmm. everything we sell. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like much, but that's more than a lot of these percentage of proceeds, percentage of profit donations are going to be. But once again, like, is it worth buying a t-shirt that you're not really going to wear just so someone can donate a dollar to a charity? Like, it it does it just leads to overconsumption. And I saw so much of this during the pandemic as so many, like, 
restaurants and bars and organizations and whatnot were selling t-shirts and tote bags and whatnot to, to fundraise. And I would say like, if you wanted to help out your local restaurant workers who were laid off, there are funds that you could directly donate cash to. You don't need a t-shirt from every bar you like in town. Unless you're going to wear them all the time, then like go for yeah, it. Yeah, totally. But there was a lot of like I my got dad. a lot of Bernie bro heat back after the inauguration. I don't know if you remember how Bernie Sanders was wearing those mittens sitting in that chair. Yes. This is yep. another trend that already passed by the way, guys. I right? know. I thought I thought <laughs> right. about that and that the memes that followed. Yes, yeah, already forgotten. But <laughs> like the like Bernie Sanders campaign started making merch with that picture mm-hmm. on it and it was like oh but all the money's being donated to blah 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 and i was like i w- you know i was like unpopular uh opinion here i don't think you should buy clothes based on a meme and if you want to help meals on wheels just make a donation and yeah. i still stand by that because you don't need bernie sanders on a sweatshirt you right. can you know donate money to his campaign donate money to meals on wheels and it is May right now, and we almost totally forgot that that even happened. Yes. So, or the weird. How about the weird, like vote twenty twenty? Oh, like don't vote twenty twenty merch gone. I know. Ew. I know. Who, yeah, who's and all of wear that, that was like <laughs> to raise money for like such yeah. and such an organization. And once again, mm-hmm. just make a donation. But make that a is donation. like a scammy thing that so many brands and retailers have jumped on. Like, it's massive. Mm -hmm. It's all over the place. I've seen it pick up so much steam during the pandemic when everyone was, like, desperate to figure out a way to sell you clothes, for example. Suddenly, everybody was doing a give back, and it just – it just – it was a scam, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when the give back was actually, like – remember when Tom's would be, like – you buy a sh- buy a pair of shoes and he gives a pair of shoes or Warby Parker was like, you buy glasses. Oh my God. I feel like that's where that mm-hmm. started because every job I had after that, it would, they would cite yes. Tom's. How can we be yes. like Tom's? Yes. <laughs> and you're like, well, we, we're not going to do shoes because he's already doing that. And Skechers already tried to copy that with the mm. bobs. Bobs. Um, what? Never forget. Like you're going to really, Bob. really just completely knock it off. Like, whoa. Completely knocked off. Didn't even try to really change the name. (laughs) Bob's. Anyway. uh, (laughs) So, yeah, I feel like this would come up all the time. And and then, like, Warby Parker with the glasses. That's a great cause, too, right? Like, that seems legit to me. And you need glasses. And Warby Parker is affordable. And I don't think you're probably impulse purchasing that many glasses, right? Like, these were Mm -hmm. were disruptors in that area of, like, give back. But then – Everybody else was like, okay, how do I get in on that? You know, uh, I I know we'll make a t-shirt and we'll give 1% of the profits to someone. And it's like, that's like no money. Yeah, but you're (laughs) getting all the credit. (laughs) Like you get all this credit for it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And I feel like actually the Trump era was like the peak of all this give back stuff. I think it's been pulling back a little bit because so many of us are smarter now and we ask the questions. But I just felt like everyone was like jumping on the cause of the week. Whatever Trump had done yes. that was terrible that week, there was a way to to get someone to shop yes. because and of it. Yes, and that was a value was feminism. That used to be big, but mm-hmm. it's not anymore, really. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's kind of chuggy, which we'll talk about. <laughs> Ooh, super exciting, chuggy, chuggy. Anyway, I mean, another trending inclusivity practice is size inclusivity, and like you know, really supporting brands that actually support support size inclusivity. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's like, come on, guys. Jesus. It is nearly impossible to find something that even fits. You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, don't get me started. I I have so many feelings there, too, where I'm just like, the fact that we even have to have a conversation about size inclusivity in 2020. I know. It's fucked. It's <laughs> For lack of fucked. a better adjective. And, like, like just, just like, like, the, why? just the small amount that brands give is so insane. Oh, yeah, totally. And then they, like, 
don't get the fit right and no one buys it. And they're like, see, that's because larger people don't shop. And you're like, no, 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 mm-hmm. it's because it fits terribly. Nope. Because <laughs> they don't shop. Right. And I'm like, no, it was like two sizes too small. Like It's like because you don't actually know, you don't understand that consumer. Like, can can you just uh, can you just understand the consumer? Like this is a huge market space. And it's not literally, it's not even like actually even plus size. It's like it's it doesn't even have to be like like I mean even plus size is like the worst term for it. What would you even call it? Um extended <sighs> sizing. But it's not even that. Yeah. It's like a lot of a lot of brands don't even go up to what? A twelve? Jeez. I know. I mean I've found a market. It's average. Of brands it's like a th- <laughs> who do up to a size eight. Yes. Like And you're like, wow, well you were you know what those brands, I'm sorry. They're saying something very loud and clear by making those decisions. Mm-hmm. It's you know, absolutely. I don't want to cut them any slack. Do better. Do better. Exactly. Like they're like that is literally the average size of an American woman is a twelve. Actually, it's a sixteen or an eighteen now. Oh, is it a sixteen or eighteen? Now? Yeah. So imagine just being such an asshole that you're like, "Well, I've already decided I'm not going to dress just about no one." Exactly. Like, what sort of market share are you just leaving on the table? Wake up! And I'm just going to say this again, which I said in the last episode: seventy five percent of the clothes bought in the United States are bought at like off price retailers. So all these other brands, and there's yeah. so many of them are fighting for 25% of those sales and they can't even be bothered to yeah. make more sizes, which would help them take over some right. of that market share. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so curious what the Idiot. size breakdown is at Marshall's, like what their best selling sizes are. I'm so curious. Oh my God. I know. I know. If you've worked at one of these places, please let us know because I, I have so many questions about it because I'm wondering, is that one of the reasons they're killing it? Yeah, exactly. People just, you know? have, they just are forced to shop there because it's just impossible to find sizes. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> oh, so stupid. So stupid. If I ran the Royal, things yeah. would be different guys. Yeah. Um, any other values you feel like, I mean, obviously we could probably be going on and on and on about values, but anything else that you feel like, I mean, I think more and more, and obviously I am like up to my eyebrows in clothes horse every day, but I think more and more we're really talking about workers' rights, you know, obviously paying a living wage to all the people who make our clothing, make all the fabrics and the trims and whatnot, but also the people who work in the warehouses, yes. the people who work in the retail stores. I think even the people who work in the corporate office. So giving them benefits to everyone, letting people make a living and have a comfortable life and not having these gross, toxic cultures. Like I look at a place like, for example, Away, one of the girl boss empires that crumble, although people are still buying Away suitcases because some people just don't care, you know? But what really came out about them that was really destructive to their business was that they were they were bullying people oh, who worked in the oh. office. You know, they were like not letting customer service people take any time off. They're being really cruel. You know, that kind of stuff wouldn't have mattered 10 years ago. And it matters more and more now. And I, I think that's great. I think that the pandemic is creating sort of like a labor reckoning. Yeah. Um, I love which that. needed to happen. I mean, when I think about specifically the fashion industry and how just it's toxic everywhere, it's the benefits are always terrible. You know, the environment is always super stressful. There's no work life balance. All we're doing is talking about dumb clothes. And yet it's so stressful and ugly, and so many people who have like PTSD from their jobs. I think more and more we're having conversations about that. And so how a company treats all of its workers from top to bottom is becoming an important mm-hmm. topic. And I think that that's going to be a hard that's going to be a hard one for them cuz how do you how do you greenwash your negative corporate culture? How do you mm-hmm. greenwash people working in retail stores and living in poverty? You know, how do you greenwash what's happening overseas? The C-suite or the executive team that has has always been in all of these positions all of the time that ha- have created these toxic 
cultures, they're just basically have been shifted around back and forth, shifting, shifting, shifting. Like, mm-hmm. how is that going to change anything? I know. I mean, I think we talked about this way back in the Girl Boss episodes, and it's something I've been thinking about since, which is like, we need to reevaluate what the characteristics, what the qualities of a good CEO yes. are. Like, what's the CEO, yes. what's the ideal CEO personality profile? I don't think it is what it is right now. Yeah. If we want a better world. Absolutely. Yeah. If we want a better world. If we're like, oh, things are fine. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Then please continue to shuffle bad people around and pay them ridiculous yeah. amounts of money. Um, I Tons of favoritism. You know, we've seen it. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about Everlane, like, like going back to Everlane and how I, I just don't think Everlane would have been as terrible as it is. If the CEO had really wanted it to be better, you know, because how could you, if you had all of these great goals in mind, all these great missions you wanted to take your company on, how would you handle ending up with that terrible toxic environment that was like all, all a fraud, you know, like how would you reconcile that? I just, I th- I feel like, you know, uh, someone called into Close Horse this week and they said bad business is a choice. And I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that it's you have ego. that choice. Do you want to have a good business or do you want to have a bad business? You, you see a lot of like executive teams just kind of like, they kind of, they, they, they support this crazy like toxicity, <sighs> you know, with just inherently. And that's kind of how it just, continues to build it but if you also if you add someone to like a ceo role that or or one of the other kind of higher level roles that has toxic attitudes it will destroy the entire morale and behaviors of your of the of the whole brand yeah yeah and i we've seen it happen we've seen it happen and every almost every job i've had not every job you know i actually will say this i worked at modcloth at the time when mm-hmm. the founders were still running the company, Susan and Eric, and they are legitimate, good, kind people who really cared about their employees. And I felt that when I worked there. Like, it was a great yeah. place to work. We felt very cared for, and we were excited to mm-hmm. be there and and do good. And other every other place I worked, the leadership, they were assholes, you know, you could see it. Yeah. I, I would hear them say stuff. They would do weird things in meetings. God, I mean, like Nasty Gal being the most extreme <laughs> example, but like, trust me, it's everywhere, everywhere I've worked. Um, I, w- I worked at one job where, you know, I was on Slack and there was an explosion in a neighborhood of the city that was like pretty working class. It ended up being like a massive gas leak that had exploded and destroyed many homes and sh- surely ruined some lives. And there were people in leadership on Slack joking about how it was probably like a meth lab and making meth jokes. And I, I, I really was like, wow, wow, you guys are showing like your true colors right now that you're like classist jerks, you know? Yeah. And I just, I think that it's like a lot of these brands, I, I don't know how they clean house and make it better. And so I'd rather they would just go away and all the people who are doing good things could just move up. And I think that there's a lot of really great people that don't get the opportunities. And that happens. I mean, you've seen it. It's really hard to move up into these executive positions at these companies, like, because there's just all of that favoritism. Oh, my God. You know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's like you, you in particular, it was, it's hard for someone, you know, who obviously is exceptionally well-trained to, to move into an any, any of those positions, not that you want to, but, you know, like, if you wanted a clean sweep of that, it's taking chances on new people and just really, you know, pushing the buck on, um, on innovative and progressive thinkers. Yeah. And for real, and not just saying that you're doing that, but then it's just like, exactly. same old, same old behind the scenes, because I think truly vetting those people. So many brands over the last decade have really leaned into this idea of like, we have to have a mission, we have to have a cause that is a key component of our marketing. Even look at Nike, how Nike has really embraced 
you know, systemic racism, racial justice in the United yeah. States, except that, you know, it's a toxic shit show of a place to work that has been paying poverty wages to people around the globe, people yeah. of color primarily for decades and decades. And so, but they've leaned into that and people like it. People are like, yeah, I'm giving them my money. And it's like, whoa, 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 like take a step back and like ask those questions and reevaluate. And unfortunately, all of these like missions that these and causes and purposes that these brands and retailers and companies are trying to sell us on are they're just that they're just smoke and mirrors they're just a marketing mm-hmm. story but they appeal to our like our inner goodness and that makes it's me emotionalness yeah yeah and so we make split second decisions based on it and unfortunately yeah. the bad news i have for everyone is that you need to take a deep breath take a step back and think about it a little bit and you'll start to see like i said you start to see these patterns where you're like I don't think any company should be selling stuff in the name of feminism, you know, or social justice, you know, racial justice or any of this. Like they like just sell us stuff that everyone who made got paid for and that will last us a long time. You know, like it's that easy. Instead, it's like we're going to instead we're going to like paint this picture of all these feelings and vibes. Yeah. And it's just, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. It is. Frankly gross. Yeah. Frankly gross. As the person who had to work alongside Kim and recite that stupid mission statement about empowering women, oh, every time felt, we had an all hands. so disempowered. Constantly. So disempowered. Um, that was a major, a major turning point in my life for sure. Well, that's. That's basically the end of of this little walk down value versus values. And we would love to hear from all of you. You know, what did we miss? Yes. What's made you emotional? What has like grabbed your attention? Have you gotten a reusable Q-tip stuck in your ear? <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so terrible. Oh my <laughs> God. It sounds absolutely horrible. I've been meaning to send you that post for so long to be like, this is a cautionary tale for whoever runs your social media. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? <laughs> It's like so. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was too ridiculous. Anyway, well, thank you, everyone. We'll be back next week. Bye.